0: Good morning. Welcome home, family. So glad. It's always so glad to be here on a Sunday morning worshiping together. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading the way in music and always doing a fantastic job. We are continuing our series going through the book of Proverbs. We've kind of laid the groundwork before for a couple of chapters talking about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Talking about how sin entices us away from following God's ways, but that following God's ways, there's blessings that come from the wisdom that He gives us. We've talked about how um, we started talking about how, uh, I'm now, what's the fifth one? Oh, yeah. We talked about how we shouldn't lean in our own understanding, but on God's own understanding. And then for, like last week, we started kind of talking about these topics that the book of Proverbs talks about and addresses, and the first being that we hit was adultery or sexual immorality, everyone's favorite topic. And so we hit that, and now we're going today talk about some practical wisdom for everyday life, which is how does God view and expect us to view work? How should we be good workers, and how should we practice our life diligently before the face of God? And so that's where we're going to be going this morning. But before we do that, let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, that we can gather together as your people, we can read it, we can understand it, we can see how you give us wisdom for daily life. Wisdom based on your knowledge and your nature and your holiness. Wisdom based on the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that we can <clears throat> follow you as you direct us. So Lord, I pray for this time as we open up the word, your word, that you bring into to life in our hearts and minds, that we can follow you where you are direct us, that we can know you as you reveal yourself to us, that we can be your people as we diligently apply your word to our life. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Uh, give them ears to hear. I pray for myself that you give, you, you speak through me, that it's your word that's heard um, more important than anything I could say. Lord, we love you, we seek you. and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. The alarm goes off on a Monday morning and typically probably a lot of people feel a little bit of dread. Another week has arrived, another time of just maybe having to do something you don't enjoy that much. There's a dread that's associated commonly with many people when it comes to work. Some people love their jobs and that's great. But then there's always a dread that comes with other things. If you don't hate your job, it tends to be you might not like the fact that you have to do laundry every week. Or when the summer hits, you have to mow grass. Or you have to keep on taking care of stuff. There's this thing with work that just kind of can get you down. Maybe I'm alone in that. But it's true. People have this complicated relationship with work. This really came home really early to me when my first job, when I was uh, working, fixing up houses between renters and fixing up uh, things like that, and we had a low time, and so the person who managed me and my brother who worked together kind of loaned us out, farmed us out at the lowest bidder, and so we went and dug out a crawl space from this lady in her house that was too, uh, the crawl space was too small, so she could not get termite insurance. So here come two doofuses with hand tools, crawling under a crawl space, digging this out, bucket load by bucket load of dirt. And I was in junior high at the time, and I remember sitting there going, this is not how I want to live my life. As I'm under the crawl space, with spiders crawling over me, and just little by little bit, doing that that's just a wake-up call sometimes that I think maybe most of us experience in some form or not with different forms of work because humanity's relationship with work is weird. At some point it is, uh, can be so fulfilling. You do a good job and you're like, look what I've done. You, you've mastered something and you produce something or you just had a good day where you can see production happening. It can be so fulfilling But at the same time, the same task can be so terrible as you feel like you have to do them again and again. We have this weird relationship with work. At one point, it can be fun. You actually get bored if you're not working and you want to throw yourself into it. And it can be fun to do a project, but at the same time, it can be so draining to have to get up and do what you're called to do. Was it meant to be this way? These strange relationships that we have with work, was it meant to be this way? What has gone wrong in our human makeup that we live in this? Well, the Bible gives us an answer, and the Bible actually tells us how we should view and approach work and how we should actually honor God in that. And when we read the book of Proverbs, we see this again and again, this theme about how we should actually be hard workers. We're going to hit two, uh, actually three different passages in the book of Proverbs, starting in Proverbs 6, and then we're going to go to Proverbs 21, and then Proverbs 24, but the main passage that we're going to be on is Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. You can follow along on the screen, or in your Bible, as you will, and so Proverbs chapter 6 starts uh, with, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, goes like this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Verses 25 through 26 says, "The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor all day long. He craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back." Proverbs chapter uh, 24, verses 30 through 34 say, "I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense." And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. We could have read many, many, many more verses in the book of Proverbs about work, about how we should approach it, about this character introduced to Sluggard, but I just limit it to these three passages. But what are we supposed to take from this? What should we learn about how God views wisdom or about how God views work? And i just offer the simple suggestion that what I pull from this is be wise, work hard. There's actually an understanding that God gives his people that to be wise includes hard work. To be wise in his ways includes actually be diligent in what you're called to do and be responsible for that. We should be wise and work hard. That God gives practical wisdom for living life in this world. And part of that is that when we have a task at hand, when we have to take care of responsibilities, when we're called to produce or we're called to take care of people, we should be working hard in that. And as part of what it means to be wise in this world. Be wise, work hard. This is based off of the biblical work ethic, that the Bible approaches work in a particular way. And when we read the Bible, we see this, and it's ingrained in all the biblical instruction for how people are supposed to work. And we see this biblical kind of work ethic being built from the very beginning. For work was created good, some of us doubt that sometimes in the midst of work. But work was created good. We see this way back in the first uh, part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 when he created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity. In Gen- uh, chapter, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Before anything wrong happened in the world, In paradise, the man had a job. Adam and Eve weren't just lounging around drinking pina coladas as they looked upon this this wonderful garden. They had a job. Adam in particular had a job. He was to work the garden. He was tending the plants. He was tending the animals. He was to keep it, which really means to guard it. He was to secure its borders, expand its borders. He was given a task. From the very beginning, work was good. But it didn't stay like that. The relationship with work gets more complicated because we don't have to read that much further to see what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, when they rebelled against God, when they took of the fruit of the tree they were not supposed to take from and ate. Sin entered the world, sin fractured relationships relationships with God first and foremost, relationships with humanity as husband and wife, were, the relationship was fractured, but also humanity's relationship with work was fractured. And we see this in how God pronounced the curse on Adam. He says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the, uh, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your faith you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That explains why we have this weird relationship with work. On the one hand, why can it be so fulfilling? Why can it be fun? Because we were made to work. God made it good. He made it part of our DNA to be in work. Why does it come such a struggle sometimes or it feels such like a drag? Because it's been fractured. That relationship we were made to enjoy has been fractured because of sin. And now by the sweat of your brow, you work. And it becomes a drag. It's not that fun anymore. That's the biblical Work ethic, the ground, this uh, understanding of how work happens in this life explains our relationship with it. It explains, so actually, the ills of society when you see so many people wanting not to work anymore because they're living that reality of this fractured relationship with work. It explains how sometimes when you're not able to work you get bored and idle and it's not good for your mind or for your health. Why? Because you were made to work and you should be proactive. It explains these things. That's the foundation the Bible brings to our understanding of work before we even talk about what Proverbs talks about on how we should approach work. That we are made to work but at the same time it's going to be hard because of sin. And the Wisdom of God knows it's going to be hard because of sin, and so he brings the wisdom in Proverbs to push us, people who believe in God, to actually see how we're supposed to be diligent even in the midst of hardship with work. And so when we read Proverbs chapter 6, there's an appeal to nature. The writer of Proverbs says, Hey, go to the ant. Look at the ant. This small little creature is diligent, it never stops working, it harvests, it, suppl- it does all these things to actually uh, be a productive ant to feed itself in the colony, and how good it's like this, this, this appeal to the general revelation of God, that God actually has ordered the world in a way that makes sense, that you can look at the ant and say, oh yes, the Even the ant has to work. Even the ant has to work to take care of itself and its, its young. It's this is understanding that this, this kind of appeal to the ant actually has wormed its way into the common ethos of our, of our minds because if you grew up uh, reading Aesop's fables or, or kind of the cartoon versions of them, there's even one of those that is the ant and the grasshopper. It's a tale that comes straight from Proverbs, how the ant was diligent and it harvests its food. It's prepared for winter. And the grasshopper, at least the cartoon version that I saw when I was a kid, played its fiddle and was just lounge around all day. But then when winter came, it goes to the ants like, hey, give me some food, I'm starving. And the ant's like, I harvest it, you lounge around, I guess you're going to starve this winter. Very kind of dark tale for a kid to listen to. But it's, it's true, or... If you're of a more modern generation and you grew up on Pixar, just think of the bug's life. What is the tell there? The ants harvest. Why? Because those grasshoppers are going to come and take what they harvest. They're just going to party all day and all night for the season and then come and take it. It's the same kind of tell. But it's this appeal to nature that people can look at how God has ordered nature, how he's ordered the physical world, and we can learn wisdom from it. That were called actually to take lessons from work from the ant. That they're self-motivated. They don't have to be prodded to work. They don't have to be told to work. It says, you know, consider her ways. Like without having a chief or ru- officer or ruler, they're working. They don't have to be prodded. They're self-motivated. No one has. They're working. They're gathering. They're making bread. They're preparing for the harvest. And so there's industry there. There's diligence there. There's actually planning and foresight that goes there. That they're looking towards the future and say we work now so that we're taking care of later. It's this appeal to God's order that we can learn from and become be, uh, wise because of it. Because God says, hey, look, this is how I made the world. Work so that you're taken care of. Work so that you're not a burden to others. Work so that you can actually have enough to eat when winter comes. It's interesting, if, uh, if you go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that, uh, a lot, like, that um, it adds actually a whole verse to this section. Some scholars thought, hey, I need to explain this from a different angle. And so there's an addition of, and go to the B and learn how diligent she is and how seriously she does her work. Her products kings and private persons use for health. She is desired and respected by all. Though feeble in body, by honoring wisdom she obtains distinction. Which is another appeal to nature. We look and we can see how it's not just the ant, but the common kind of uh, wisdom that we see in the world is hey, be diligent. You work. And we also get this appeal to an example of a negative example of this in Proverbs 24 that we read. In in, uh, Proverbs 24 where it talks about this this person, the person writing the proverb, that he passed by a field, passed by a vineyard, of this person who lacks sense. They're not wise, and how could he tell they're not wise? The field was overgrown, covered with nettles. Nettles. The stone wall was broken down. He could see this person does not understand wisdom because they are not diligent in doing what they're called to do by working and Producing and taking care of what they have. That's like such a real example, because we probably all have that one neighbor who doesn't seem to take care of their stuff. If you don't, it might be you. But we—it's like it's, there's, so there's a place up in Mountainburg that we go to my, that my parents have, and we drive by, and you know it's it's this house that the the grass is always almost like man high. There's broken cars in like every single part of the lawn, and we look at that and you're like, what is going on with that? You're scared about even what's going on inside the house, but that's just a common appeal that when things are plain to see that they're not taking care of business, they're not doing what they're called to do, they're not maintaining things, it makes this big question in your mind, who is there? They obviously don't understand how they're called to work and take care of the things that God has given them. That when people have and our living in that fractured relationship with work and not fighting against the sin that calls us to idleness or slothfulness that we, the results are plain to see for everyone. And the reality is, probably my neighbors think about that about me when i like, ah, I really don't want to mow my grass again because I just did it a week ago. I don't like it. But that's the struggle we have that sin tempts us and lures us to not fight against this this, um, idea that we don't have to work, we don't have to be diligent in what God has called us to. And it does that, Proverbs does that, by introducing us to this fellow or this miss, the sluggard. This is a great descriptive name for someone who has who has uh, decided not to fight against the temptation to be lazy. It's just sluggard. And it's funny because I looked up, I was like, what, what kind of definitions can you find for sluggard? And I kid you not, in a dictionary, it says someone who is sluggish. I'm like, yeah, thank you, dictionary. I got it. It's a sluggard. It's like when I used to uh, do, do, uh, meet with some high school students and they always love to define words with the word they defining. Yeah, That doesn't really help us out there. But someone who is lazy, someone who is not producing, someone who's not diligent. It's the opposite of the ant. And when you look at the sluggard, which is mentioned 14 times through the book of the Proverbs, we see it's contrasted with the righteous. He's contrasted with the upright. He's contrasted with the wise. He's this person who's not listening to wisdom, not doing what he's called to do. He's just sitting there. And it's not just someone who decides to take a nap. This is actually a, someone who has an established pattern of life of not doing what they're called to do. We see that in Proverbs chapter 6 when it says, oh, how long are you going to just lay there? It says, oh, well, how long is this idea of, like, you've been sleeping enough. You've had your break. Get back to work. It's this established pattern of someone deciding, hey, I'm not going to do what I, I'm called to do. I'm not going to work as I'm going to. I'm actually going to fall back into listening to that sinful part of me and just being idle. This is the sluggard. Someone who's lacking that sense, lacking the idea of how they're called to fight against the temptation to this coast through life. The sluggard is never portrayed as being that great in the book of Proverbs. As I said, it's the person who's unrighteous. It's the person who's not upright. He's not wise. He's not doing things well. His property is going down. He's not taking care of his family. He's not taking care of the things in his life. He's fallen into that sin of sloth. It is a call for all people who know God to not be the sluggard. Don't be the person who makes it the established pattern of their life to coast and not be diligent in what the work that God has called us to it 's also a call against idleness, because as we see this this, this person is idle they 're doing not doing the work the call to do. We see this, and he says, "How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and wants like an armed man. We see this instance where the book, the Bible actually talks about how sleep is a blessing from God. That actually sleep is, is this, rest is a blessing from God. That your call to work hard and what's your reward is you get to rest. And that the Bible talks about how God gives rest to the people he loves. He gives sleep to the people he loves. And so this image is sleep being a good thing, it's a blessing. But what does a slugger do? He takes the blessing of God and ignores God and takes that blessing and make it his God. He says, I'm going to rest and sleep, and I'm not going to give up because it's a good thing. It's what we all do with all sorts of good blessings that God gives us is we want the blessing. We don't want the blesser anymore, and we want make that thing that he's given us for us to enjoyment for our life, and he said, we make it our God and say, now we're going to serve this. So the slugger sleeps. You kind of see how it's almost be mocking this slugger this sluggard, this person who is slothful because it talks about um, a little sleep, a little slumber. You can almost see the guy saying he's all all these excuses, like, I just need to take a little bit of a break. I'm just going to sleep for a little bit. Then I'll get back at it, but it's just mocking it because the result is this poverty of someone not doing their work as they're called to do for a prolonged period of time. This is the sluggard who takes what's good, and makes it their end-all, be-all. This blessing from God, and sleep becomes their God, and they worship it. They pursue it. But We also see how the sluggard actually replaces hard work with this wishes and desires. We see that in Proverbs 21, when it talks about the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. He replaces hard work, which would get what he desires, with rather just a wishing, a desire, a longing to get it. And he, but he does not work towards it. He refuses to labor. And so we see this perversion of idleness where someone's not working and they just want to receive. They just want to get. They just want to consume. And so their God becomes their belly, the God becomes their desires, and they refuse to work as God has set us up. And this idleness overtakes them. And the result, as we read in Proverbs chapter 6 and Proverbs 24, is that poverty comes upon them. There's a little bit of a, a irony here when it's talking about a little sleep, a little slumber, and a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an art band, is that these people are so caught up with sleep, they don't see what is about to come upon them. They don't see that poverty is the result of this life, living just for their desires, just wishes, when they don't want to work towards it. That poverty will come upon them, shows their foolish nature, when we're talking about poverty, it's a complicated issue we know in society. And the Bible in Proverbs really paints the picture from this one angle, that those who don't work end up in parvish. In parvish, I can't speak right now. They end up poor. <laughs> those who don't work. But the reality is the whole Bible speaks to this from other angles. We realize and I can understand that when we read the Minor Prophets, when it criticizes people who are putting down the downtrodden, who are not giving wages to the workers, we realize that poverty is a bigger issue. But the truth is, this is still true. You work to, to get. You work to be not poor. And also realize that we're called to justice and working against systems that might keep people downtrodden. But when we read Proverbs, we see this fact, that to be wise, to be who God has called us to, to, to be, we work hard, be wise. Work hard. That's what Proverbs tells us our relationship to work should be. But that's not the end of the story. Because right now we just got a good pep talk to on Monday morning, wake up and go to, go to work with a smile on your face and get after it. But We know that won't last us. That actually, the, the urge or the call to fight against being slothful can only keep us going so long that when we bring the message of the gospel to work, we see how there's a total reframing of work that should take place in our life. For as we know who Christ is, it changes our whole stance towards all of life, including how we work, whether it's in your job or at your home or wherever you manage, how we work is reframed by the gospel. One of the things is that it takes the spotlight off of us and our desires and puts it on other people. We can see that even in Proverbs chapter 21, where it's talking about the sluggard who does this kind of pursuing his desires and his cravings. And it says, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. That one of the primary things that kind of changes when we reframe our work through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of God's wisdom, is that we, don't long, we no longer just work to get for ourselves, to produce for ourselves and take care of ourselves. We actually work to give. Actually, we work to be generous. That when God calls His people to be generous as he is, we work hard so we can do that. We actually work hard with a mindset that when I work hard, I'll have a stockpile that when someone, even when they're lazy and I've gotten themselves in trouble, I can show grace to them and love them and help them in their time of need. That we are called as Christ followers, we're called as God's people to have this reframing of work. That we're called to work hard so that we can be generous and show God's heart to people in need reframes it gives it a different meaning it can keep us going even when it gets hard because we know that God can use how we can work hard and how we can be generous people to help the spread of the gospel and soften people's hearts to his truth but then also we've already read this morning about how the gospel reframes work in colossians chapter 3 when it says whatever you do work hard word, work hard as if for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That when we know the gospel, when we understand who Christ is, our relationship to work is reframed as we realize, yes, we might be going to a job where we're working for the man. We might be getting up and we're doing laundry and we're just serving our family as we take care of the house. We might be doing work on our, on our property just for ourselves, but yet there's someone we're working beyond, for beyond that. We're not just doing those things for this person or this thing for this person or this for ourselves, but in everything we do, we're doing it for Jesus. That actually reframes our mind when we actually want to be a good worker. We want there and to be diligent in what we do. We take our examples from nature. Yes, we take our examples and negatives of how people can be slothful, but we look at this and say, if I truly believe my whole life is lived before the face of God, that He looks upon me and, and, and loves me and calls me to be His, out in this world, it pushes us to reframe how we see even work itself, that we work for God and everything. That when we go to work, when we're taking care of our house, when we are loving people, as we're, when we're doing things that might be pulling us down, we do it and we're serving God in the midst of it. That's the outworking of the gospel in our lives that reframes how we see work. It actually gives meaning and purpose to every task that comes into our hands. Meaning and purpose is there No matter how small the thing is, how how routine it is, we're called to work hard at it as if for the Lord. The gospel reframes it. We're called to be wise and work hard. So what should we take from this understanding when we read Proverbs about work and how how it addresses our lives? It's a call for all Christians, all people who believe in God to use what God gave you in responsible ways and be active in life. We're not called to sit back and let life happen to us. We know that in our faith and we know that in life, in our relationships, it is also true in how we relate to work. We're called to be active and proactive, to be actually doing what God has called us to do, using what he has gifted us with for his glory. It's also called, I believe, to be generous. That when the church operates how it should operate, people work hard so they can be generous and people are taken care of. That actually we work hard and we, 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 we get our rewards from working hard, but we don't just hoard it like some person is sitting on a treasure chest, like you know, Scrooge McDuck who dives into a pile of gold. No, we work hard to give. That when we see people in need, when we see people who are in want, when we see people who need a helping hand, we have worked hard so that we can be generous with what God has given us. That when we see missionaries going overseas who need help to spread the word of God, we've worked hard so we can support them to do this mission. In all these different ways, we're called to be generous with what and work hard so that it's not just about ourselves, but we actually extend a helping hand to those who are in need. And then we live with meaning on every single task because we look upon it and say God has placed me here right now for the reason that He knows. And we work hard in it knowing we're serving God in whatever task is before us. We honor Him by working hard for Him so that, he, so that our witness can be effective. So people see us and they say, why are you such a hard worker? And we can point to Christ so that we can serve others, that we can just be, we can serve uh, whatever we're called to do, but we, we work for God rather than just for the people who might pay our paycheck. We keep our eyes fixed on him. And all of these things, the urging from Proverbs is to be wise and work hard. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it, and it addresses even practical things like how we are supposed to work, how we're supposed to operate in this world as employees, as employers, as workers of various sorts. And so Lord, I just pray for us, all of us who are here, that we can see how we can honor you and how we can work, that we can see how we're called to be yours in all that we do, that we can honor you as we go to work on Monday. we can honor you as we take care of our household or our kids. We can honor you in all that we do. As we see how we're supposed to fight against how sin has fractured our relationship with work. And keeping our eyes fixed on you as you have given us grace to live each day for you. Lord, I thank you for who you are. thank you for your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to stand with us in this song, I invite you to do that now.